Oh, my memories are wonderful. If you are lucky, you found something in a store. If you are not lucky, well, so be it. I asked her to marry me, and she said, well, that's fine. She says, you, you've got a choice. It's either me or the motorcycle. Welcome to Elder Wisdom Stories from the Green Bench. This is episode 56 and our fifth season of this podcast. My name is Kathy Buckworth, and as always, I have the pleasure of sharing the bench with my co-host, Evelyn Brindle, who lives with her husband, David, at the village of Aaron Meadows in Mississauga, just one of the Schlegel Village's long-term care and retirement homes. Today, Evelyn and I are welcoming our special guest, Ferg Kyle, who lives in the Schlegel Village of Tansley Woods in Burlington. Now, Ferg believes he is a very lucky man, and he'll tell you why. But I think he is the epitome of the expression, the harder you work, the luckier you get. Ferg is going to tell us about his unlikely entrance into the world, as well as how he overcame health challenges to live out his dream, never taking his eye off of his lofty goals, including his time as a fighter pilot and then as a commercial pilot for Air Canada. I should let you know that Ferg is our final guest for this season, but we'll be back with season six before you know it. But before Ferg joins Evelyn and myself for this fun and informative chat, I'd like to remind you what this podcast is all about. It's the brainchild of the Schlegel family. It's long been founder Ron Schlegel's belief that the greatest untapped resource in Canada, if not the world, is the collective wisdom of our elders. And today, we have the opportunity to learn all about an extraordinary life lived by an inspiring man, Ferg Kyle, as we fly into another great Stories from the Green Bench podcast episode. But let's bring in Evelyn first. Good morning, Evelyn Brindle. Good morning, Kathy. Evelyn, I'm great. I'm wondering, do you think you're a lucky person? I would say probably 80% of the time. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't win a lot of contests or anything like that, but I think I'm pretty lucky with my, my family and my life. Oh, definitely. I think my family is the most wonderful group of people I've had the pleasure of knowing, let's say it that way. <laughs> they're they're, they're real troopers. And I've, you know, I, I, it's, um, I've had a good life. Uh, let, let me say that. There have been ups and downs, uh, mostly in the health area for myself and husband. But uh, overall, I, I don't think I would change a thing. I like your expression, ups and downs, as we go into a conversation with a pilot. So this makes a lot of sense. Good yes. morning. Good morning, Ferg Kyle. <laughs> Good morning, Dan. <laughs> We're so happy to have you on the show today. And of course, the reason I asked Evelyn about how lucky she feels um, is because uh, I think you think you're a pretty lucky guy. I do, too. I do, too. And I sort of uh, teased at the beginning of this intro that you had a little bit of a I don't know, an unusual entrance into the world. Can we start right at the beginning, Ferg, and go back to that? Uh, I'll go before the beginning. Okay. <laughs> when I was born, my dad was 57. My wow. mom was was 48. I'll say no more, except now <laughs> you have a different picture. My dad yeah. was in World War One, and he was in the trenches. He actually 
he joined in fourteen in uh, nineteen fourteen, and uh, and they turned him down because he was too old. Uh, they called him back in nineteen sixteen and said, "Would you like to change your mind?" And he <laughs> said, "Why?" And they said, "The kids are all dead." So that's that's the circumstance under which I began life. Um, I was born in Toronto, and I grew there. I was happy. I didn't know uh, a lot of things, and one of the things I didn't know was that the doctor told my mom, after uh, some delay, that I could expect to live to 28. I didn't know this, and, and she didn't tell me. Uh, it, it didn't really affect my life. I paid no attention to it, and uh, I was told it was because I was born with a heart condition. What do you do? You just carry on with, do the best you can, carry on. I had a normal life with the kids on our street and and uh, and uh, schooling and so forth. Uh, I should say I'm 93, <laughs> so I managed to surpass the 28. <laughs> By just a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Do you call that lucky? I think that's pretty lucky. And I think so. And you always, as you just mentioned, loved uh, aircrafts and flying. And so there was a military school that you wanted to study at in order to join the Royal Canadian Air Force. But how the heck are you going to pass that physical, Ferg? Well, I was I was in good physical condition. The only thing I uh, I had to worry about was if I if I strained in any way, you could hear my heart changing. You could hear it outside. You didn't really need a stethoscope. <laughs> it, uh, I should say that if I exerted just before bed uh, for any reason, um, you could hear my my heart thumping in my chest. Uh, in fact, it could be heard in the room. Nobody wow. ever nobody ever noticed because there was never anybody else in the room. <laughs> However, that was that was my condition. So I led a, a normal life, and finally, I uh, I joined the uh, Air Force. Uh, I was educated at McGill University in Toronto, in Montreal. My my I should say my bad dad died when I was eleven, so he was well out of the picture. My mom was a working mom. She worked all her life, and she did a super job. But she was moved to Montreal in Canadian Pacific Railway, and uh, so I went to uh, I went to McGill, took up engineering, and um, enjoyed it. And to what what point should I go? I guess by this uh, I oh I know I had been told about my condition, so I was. Uh, suitably sober, shall we say, because uh, uh, I mentioned my dad in the trench in World War I was taken care of by a, a medical student because they couldn't get fully trained doctors to the Frenches at that point. And he was a very ardent and interested man, took an interest in my dad, and the two of them enjoyed their... their uh, careers together in the trenches. A man from South Africa 
had invented uh, uh, an operation which uh, had about 50% success in correcting the heart condition with which I was born. And uh, the doc said, what do you think? Would you like to give it a try? And I, I said, who wouldn't? <laughs> who wouldn't? It was early on. So I was one of the first. And uh, the doc he came to uh, Toronto, uh, uh, approaching my, my uh, date of operation, and uh, worked with the doctors at the Toronto General. The, the, the operation was actually at uh, Sunnybrook Military Hospital, but the docs were all from Toronto General. And uh, it was successful. It was, uh, uh, it left a scar on my chest about seven inches long. And uh, I had little trouble with my left arm, it was on the left side, because they take this arm and move it right behind and open up the, <laughs> not too much detail here for, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, it's messy for them, but not for me. So I spent, uh, five months, four and a half, five months at Sunnybrook, recuperating from the operation, and uh, had lots of visitors, of course. The docs came from all over the place. I spent two nights at Wellesley Hospital. The Lieutenant General's Park in central Toronto, they took over the building during the war. My, my, the day of my operation came, I was given a briefing as what would happen, rolled into the uh, operating room, which is about the size of the room we're in here now. So I, I uh, got wheeled into position and they said, uh, oh, we're all set to go. And I said, can I ask you one thing? And, and the doc who was with me said, what is it? And I said, could you move about <laughs> one foot to the left? And he said, sure, why? And I said, because there's a clock on the wall and it says 10 to 9. And uh, he said, oh, that's very interesting. Put a, a pin in my arm and I went to sleep. I woke up. It was, the sun had moved about 10 or 12 hours from where it was when I went to sleep. And uh, I thought to myself, well, that's not too bad one day. Anyway, uh, I, I asked the gal what time it was, and she said, it's 6.30 in the afternoon, Monday. <laughs> that was two days later. I'd been asleep all that time. And the operation was clearly a success? I think so. I'm 93. I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what, what it improved in some cases, but I'm sure lucky. I went back to Aylmer, uh, which was the engineering engineering officer school, and uh, after about four or five months of that, I got an order to go to Claire's home, Alberta because they had decided that because of the uh, heart condition, which they might 
run into in future, they decided to train me as a pilot, which of course, with which I was tickled, <laughs> and uh, and uh, went went west and took the pilot training course, which was a little over 12, 13 months. I should also point out that I was not in the regular force. Uh, I was in what was called the auxiliary air force, and uh, I was in an auxiliary squadron. I didn't know that at the time, but that's what occurred later. Did all my training as a regular member of the Air Force. The training was no different. Went uh, onward to uh, advanced flying. Uh, went to bombing and gunnery school. And then was posted to my home squadron, which was in Montreal, 401. It's a famous squadron. It's the, it's the deadliest squadron in the Canadian Air Force, as far as fighters go. So I was very proud to be a member uh, of that organization, and I learned a great deal from them. About half of them were veterans of the previous war, World War II, that we're talking about 1948. They asked me what I wanted to do, and I said, well, I'd like to fly. We, uh, we, we met once a week on Thursday night for instruction, and every other weekend we flew for the two days. St. Hubert Airport, we had uh, Harvard training aircraft, and at that time we had uh, a fairly new fighter, the Vampire, was the first jet. So uh, I had it made. Hmm. I had, had what I wanted, got what I wanted, and nobody asked me for a penny. Back to Air Canada again now. Um, I uh, flew down, what they call down east, <laughs> mm -hmm. the Maritimes and New York. Uh, advanced through various aircraft as they came and went. I ended up flying about 10 different aircraft in Air Canada, I suppose. Wow. Yeah. It's a combination of what they want and what you want. If you're ambitious, you like to get ahead. You don't want to spend your life as an air f as a first officer. You want to be a captain and call the bell. And uh, that took me quite a while. It um, usually does. I have a son-in-law who's a captain with Cathay Pacific these days, and he shares your passion for flying, believe me. It, uh, there's nothing more that he would love to do, and, and he does it as well as training now. So, uh, It's a wonderful job. Yeah, that's what he it, says. It, 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 it compares with the responsibilities you carry as a pilot in the Air Force. It's much the same in, in the airline. Uh, the, the various jobs are different, of course, but the importance is there. And uh, uh, it's very few who don't really enjoy it. Yeah. What, am I right that two of your sons also became pilots, Ferg? They are indeed. One, with, uh, one has just left Air Canada. Mm-hmm. He's completed his career. He bought a house in Nassau, and he's re rebuilding that for something to do. 
uh, and uh, the other one is with WestJet. Okay. And did you give so them any special advice when they were thinking of going to be uh, aviators? <laughs> he's a typical pilot. He, he never asked. <laughs> 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 Whatever dad knows is out of date anyway. Okay. <laughs> However, Take it. Oh, they're, they're good boys. They're good pilots, and they're good fathers, and I don't think I could ask for anything better. Okay. Well, mm. can you tell us a little bit about your wonderful wife, Jenny? How did you meet her? <laughs> Jenny, by the time... Uh, I was earning enough money that I thought perhaps I could afford to get married. I was flying the Atlantic on larger aircraft. I had maybe one or two days in London. Uh, mostly it was uh, England, Scotland, England, and Ireland. And then we were at the stage of expanding in Europe. So Paris followed, Frankfurt, a uh, number of others. However, at that point, I was just flying to London, and uh, I had taken a guy in to my apartment because I, I had an apartment I didn't need much use of, and his name was Graham. He was from Vancouver, and he was a pilot with CP. So we managed to compare our, our uh, lives uh, one to the other. And his brother was posted to London and was one of the first people I met when I went to London and stayed. He said to me one, one evening, uh, how are you for parties? And I said, well, not, not much, but <laughs> I enjoy them. I just don't get them because uh, it's not the kind of life that, uh, that you can make plans on. Anyway, he said, in that case, we're going to a house in West London where there are three gals, uh, and they're all going their separate ways. So they're going to have a, what do they call it, a breaking pile, a, a, a lease breaking party mm -hmm. uh, before they, they split up. So he said, uh, the men uh, get the liquor and the, the gals make the sandwiches. I said, that sounds like a, a great Friday night to me. So we went on, out there on his motorcycle, and uh, I met two of the gals right away. And uh, I said, where's the, where's the third gal? I said, she's upstairs. She, she's sleeping off a, a pretty beery lunch. <laughs> with her friends because she's splitting her job too. The end result was uh, eventually after about half an hour, this young lady came down the stairs and uh, we met and she was, that was Jenny and she was beautiful. I, I couldn't believe myself. Anyway, she, she, because the others had all, chosen mates, I suppose you'd say. Uh, and we sat around uh, and chatted. Jenny, uh, Jenny said, let's go outside. 
it was summertime. It was, it was very warm. And uh, there was a lane running down behind the house. It was a three-story house. So we went out the back and talked. Two or three of the, the, the pilots from time to time came through and the gals. And uh, we had a very pleasant evening. Uh, in the in the process of which I naturally collected her address and telephone number, she was she was going to uh, stay with some other gals on uh, on the Thames, not far from downtown London. And so, uh, what about that? <laughs> I could listen to that story all day. Oh, oh I know what it was. That's called luck. Ah, <laughs> got it again. Got it again. Here I was. I, I, had a, I had a heart that worked. I was over 25 by this time and not looking forward to an early death. I had a job I guess guys would fight for. I had flown fighters. Well, I continued to fly them uh, on my days off from the airline. How can you ask for more if that's what you want to do? How many years were you married? 62. Wonderful. Wonderful. 62. Better than 28. Definitely. <laughs> Way better than 28. <laughs> I say you sound like you were very goal-focused in many aspects of your life. I made, I made a point of, of uh, making sure that uh, we, we met when I was in London. The trouble was that the airline was changing its plans. Not only were they flying to London, but they were starting to fly to the continent, which meant different times, different days, most of them on the weekends. And uh, uh, it meant less opportunity to meet. However, whenever we went to London, I made sure I had a date <laughs> and we got to know one another pretty well. Uh, that was pretty lucky as well, <laughs> given the opportunity to fly back that often. Yeah, meet a gal and marry her, and mm -hmm. that's that's luck. Yep. Are you with me? Oh, definitely. Absolutely. Agree with you a hundred percent. Doing pretty well, aren't I? Yep. Anyway. So I, um, I guess you both came back to Canada then. You're. Uh, yes. Okay. I uh, got to know her family. Her dad was a major general who lived out his life with the Japanese in the Pacific, and uh, that was that was no joke. He he came close a number of times to losing his his life. The family uh, escaped. They were in Hong Hong Kong. Yeah, Hong Kong. They escaped to the uh, what's the Amer American archipelago, uh, Philippines, Philippine Islands, uh, where the Japanese overtook them. So they ended up prisoners of the Japanese anyway, because their onward flight had been canceled just as the Japanese attacked. So they spent three years. Uh, in the Philippines, slowly uh, times were getting worse, food was getting worse, trouble was getting worse, and it was obvious that the uh, 
the Japanese at that time had plans. They were, gonna, they were going to do them all in because they didn't want to be witnesses. What happened? MacArthur attacked the island, uh, drove them uh, to the South Island to a camp, and uh, Uh, Jenny, Jenny was uh, three and a half. She was quite used to a strange life, mm -hmm. but but she succeeded and and lived, which I call luck. <laughs> I was just going to say, I think she had luck on her side. That was luck for me too. Part of what we like to do on the podcast, Berg, is to share some advice and wisdom with our listeners. Um, would, what advice would you share in terms of, um, do you think you can attract luck or is it something that, that just happens to you? What would you say? I think it's fate. I don't, I don't, th I think if you behave, there's some question. I was brought up pretty well, I think. And uh, uh, I think if you behave properly, I think you have better luck than those who don't. Let me put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I think you would say also to sort of get on with things. Would that be appropriate? Not to waste time. Not to waste time. And uh, and pay attention to what your mother says. <laughs> That's always good advice. Yeah, tell my yeah. kids. <laughs> Had a good mom. We didn't call that. Luck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you also believe that if you have positive thoughts, that positive things will happen? I think I think that, that's possibly true. I'm not much of a philosopher, okay. but uh, I I think most things when you're growing up happen to you. You don't make them happen. Uh, you're uh, a leaf in the wind, and uh, that's luck. So I can't, I can't, I can't pontificate on that, I'm afraid. Yeah, I want to actually just take us um, into the present for a moment here and talk about how maybe lucky you feel about living at the village of Tansley Woods. And is there anything you do to share your luck with your neighbors there? Well, I'm fairly, fairly new here and mm -hmm. moved, moved quite a bit. We got a nice apartment on the south floor. Well, we feel positively lucky to have had the opportunity to speak with you today, Ferg, on behalf of myself and Evelyn. It's been a pleasure getting to know about your lucky life and uh, hoping that we can all spread some luck for everyone listening to the podcast today. Well, thank you. I, I, uh, I, I don't know what to say. I've enjoyed every bit of it. I'm sure it was pretty tiring in some places. However, it's... It's what I had. Luck. Yep. It's we love it. Thank you so much for yeah. joining us today, Ferg. Thank you. Thank you. And bye bye. Okay. Bye, Ferg. May your luck continue. Bye bye. <laughs> Thank you. I think I've run out pretty well. At ninety three. I can't expect to have an all an awful lot of luck left. However. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on The Green Bench today. On behalf of my co-host, Evelyn Brindle, I'd like to thank you for giving us a chance to bring you these stories of elder wisdom. And we both so enjoyed our discussion with Ferg Kyle today, our last guest of season five. If you enjoyed it also, we'd love to have you subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already done so. 
Also, keep an eye out as we will be releasing a bonus episode featuring special guest Heather Luth, the Schlegel Village dementia expert, to learn about the living in my today philosophy and how Schlegel offers support and education for those living with dementia. We'd also love to hear your words of wisdom on social media. Please do, using the hashtag ElderWisdom, which will also help others to find us on this green bench. We do love a review and a rating on the podcast. You can easily find it by going to elderwisdom.ca and following the link. Take a look at the Elder Wisdom Pledge Against Ageism while you're there, and please think about signing it. Thanks again for joining us. I'm Kathy Buckworth, and along with Evelyn Brindle, we look forward to sharing some more Elder Wisdom with you on the next season of Stories from the Green Bench. Elder Wisdom, Stories from the Green Bench, is brought to you by Schlegel Villages, a complete continuum of care, offering independent living to long-term care, celebrating and honoring the wisdom of the elder. To learn more about us, please go to our website, schlegelvillages.com.